Hello and welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. This On Air podcast features attorneys from Myrick O'Connell, a full-service law firm with offices in Worcester, Westboro, and Boston. Our topic today is returning to work after the COVID-19 quarantine. Our guest, Jonathan Siegel, a partner in the Labor, Employment, and Employee Benefits Group at Myrick O'Connell. He advises clients on a broad range of employment issues, including employment and severance agreements, handbooks and policies, and terminations and layoffs. This is just what everybody wants to hear about right now, Jonathan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Howard. The first question I would have is, because this is a hot topic right now, and I know you have been so busy. What steps should employers take to maintain a safe workplace when employees are coming back to work following a furlough, shutdown, or quarantine? So, you know, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer to that question because it really depends on the type of business it is and whether folks can or certain folks can continue to work remotely if that's what they've been doing. Because some employers may want to uh, just stretch things out, e- even if, for example, we know in Massachusetts now the governor uh, yesterday talked about doing a kind of a phased reopening. But at the end of the day, for example, I just recently got off the phone with a client who said even if things open up in the next uh, couple of weeks, that they are likely to continue to work remotely for some period of time anyway until they can see numbers drop significantly. You know, that happens to be a professional services firm. And so that's one one example. But for those uh, companies that uh, are bringing people back into the workplace physically, some I know are going to do it actually in phases or uh, do things like stagger, uh, you know, have certain people continue to work remotely while others come back in, you know, all kinds of things to maintain social distancing and and have less people be in the same space. So, you know, I'll kind of start start off with that. You know, it depends on the type of business and how critical it is for employees to uh, to be physically on site. But again, when, if they are at any level going to be back on site, then my general recommendations to clients are to follow the CDC guidelines. Uh, Myrick O'Connell recently did an e-blast about that, about safety, COVID-19 safety guidelines. Uh, I, for some clients, have done uh, safety policy based on those guidelines. So if clients are interested in that, they can, they can certainly let us know. But, you know, back in the workplace, uh, in common areas, Things like wearing wearing masks when you're if you're out of if you have an office and you leave the office wearing your mask is a good idea. But a lot of people don't have their own office. They could be cubicles and uh, open workspaces, and that makes things more difficult. That's why you know at least for some period of time wearing masks in those areas is a good idea. Practice social distancing. Uh, companies may have to do more frequent cleaning and deep cleaning. I'm hearing that more and more in terms of making sure things are as disinfected as possible. I've had a number of clients who have decided to do temperature checks of employees. Uh, So before they're even allowed to step into the workplace, they have to have their temperature checked. And if they have 100 or above, they they can't come in. Now, we know that's not a fail-safe because you could be asymptomatic and have no fever at all and and still be carrying the virus. But it it is 
It's a step because we know that often people who are infected do have a fever. And so it's just something else to check. But, you know, that's why employees should also be required to answer certain questions about about their health, about how they're feeling, about whether they have any symptoms. And of course, the you know company policy should be if, if you are sick, I, even if you think it's just a head cold, you stay home. You know, we can't take any chances. The risks are too high. But, right. you know, I've got clients that are, in terms of the questionnaire, just making making people answer questions and certify that they have been practicing proper social distancing, that they have not been near anyone who they've known has, has been infected, so they have no known exposures or potential exposures. Uh, that kind of thing. So that self-reporting and certification is uh, really important as a kind of a first step. The word that comes to mind, Jonathan, when I talk about this with folks, and particularly in the employment area, is so many variables. Jonathan, can employers require employees to provide a fitness for duty report from their healthcare providers before they are even allowed to return to work? Yes. So in terms of asking for that, it if there's no indication that the person has been exposed or has symptoms or anything like that, certainly you could still say to employees, look, we, we want you to provide us with a note from your doctor saying you're okay to come to work. That's certainly a, a very conservative approach. You know, the problem is that it's tough to, or can be tough, depending on the situation. I've heard a variety of kind of anecdotes on this uh, to get that kind of a, a note from your doctor right now. The, the, our healthcare system right now is being obviously heavily taxed in terms of their ability to handle a lot of things that were might have been routine before the pandemic. And now because uh, so many people are dealing with these pandemic issues, it, it's not necessarily easy to get a, a fitness for duty note from your doctor. But, I, you know, I think it's doable and it's something that doesn't have to be as formal as perhaps it was pre-pandemic. Doesn't have to be, uh, you know, an, some kind of a official note on, doc, on on the medical office or hospital letterhead or whatever. It could be an email, um, just so you have a doctor who at least has, if not examined the person, at least talked to the person and 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 certifies that they can return. Certainly, if someone is exposed and has quarantined for that reason or has been ill themselves, then I would be a little more vigilant about trying to get the fitness for duty report uh, from a doctor. Again, it doesn't have to be super formal, but something uh, in that regard. Sure. Um, so it depends on, you know, it just depends on uh, on what those circumstances are. But at the very least, it, the questionnaire uh, and certification in terms of exposures and uh, being, you know, social distancing and all those kinds of things, at the very least, before you bring people back, you, you do want to get a sense of that. And uh, and the law does allow these kinds of questions. You know, uh, there there are competing interests here. There's privacy issues, as there, as there always is with medical questions and medical, uh, you know, requiring, for example, taking someone's temperature actually is a medical exam under the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. But because of the, the need for this, the, the EEOC has made it clear in their guidances that taking temperatures like this is fine, but you just have to be very careful uh, with, with that information. And, uh, you know, under, under OSHA, which is the federal law governing workplace safety, 
you know, employers are required to maintain as safe a workplace as possible. So that's, you know, another competing interest. And that's why we need to try to do, you know, our, our clients need to do the best they can to keep their workplaces safe. Can employers require employees to self-report COVID-19 symptoms prior to or after returning to work? Yes. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Certainly, yeah. Reporting symptoms, reporting if they have been infected, but also uh, requiring employees to get COVID-19 tests. So I'll give you an example. I had a client recently that had an employee who tested positive. And now this company may have... One might say that they they were too uh, conservative about things, but they didn't want to take any chances. So they had a part of their workforce working from home anyway, but then because they're a manufacturer, they had a number of folks uh, in the workplace still, and they cleared it out. They shut the company down for a couple of days. They did a deep clean, and they required employees, if possible, to get COVID-19 tests. Now, what I thought was pretty remarkable, and I think this depends on geography, where you are, what, who your doctor is, if you're, if you're near a hospital that, that has tests available, because we know, at, at least at the, as of this date, they're not, uh, t- tests are, are not necessarily easy to come by. Right. Um, but in that particular case, with this client who is in Boston, uh, almost everyone was able to get a COVID-19 test. Now, that may have been because there was... They weren't just looking for a test to see if they were okay, but because of the potential exposure to that one employee. And the, the few people that weren't, um, you know, the client said to me, should we let these people come back? And I said, look, if they're asymptomatic and you're not concerned about any other exposures, then I don't see a reason to make them, con- you know, self-quarantine for some period of time under those circumstances. But that's what they did. And, and uh requiring folks to get tests in that case, for the most part, worked, but that's not always going to be possible. I think it's worth, though, particularly in circumstances like that, where you know you've got at least one employee who is infected, at the very least, I would want to require anyone that person had had any kind of contact, and I don't mean physical touching necessarily, but even in the same, working in the same space, the same area, within six feet of each other, I would want those folks, at the very least, to get tested, and if that's not possible, then to self-quarantine for a period of time. So, Jonathan, are there any privacy concerns employees should have regarding medical information provided by employees, including test results, responses to questionnaires, and temperature checks? Yeah, medical information, employee medical information, is perhaps the most sensitive and private uh, information that an employer can have, right? And there's any number of ways where employers... Uh, become privy to that. It could be a medical leave of absence uh, or uh, or not. You know, it just could be that employers become aware that employees have particular medical conditions. And so that's information that only people with a business need to know should know. That's kind of the, the general rule. And usually that, you, you know, that kind of universe of folks who should be in the know is pretty small. In other words, just because someone's in a management position doesn't mean they should be privy to medical information related to employees who don't report to them. Sure. That's kind of the overlay. The other thing I should say is I hear HIPAA a lot. I hear clients say, well, HIPAA wouldn't let us do this or that. And, and most employers are not covered by HIPAA. People are you know, they've heard it enough and they know it has to do with privacy of medical uh, information, but 
it really doesn't apply to most employers. And I think for the purposes of this podcast, I don't need to get into uh, who yeah. it does apply to. It's yeah. going to apply to doctors and hospitals and any kind of healthcare provider and uh, right. certain other entities. But for most employers, it's really just privacy concerns. In Massachusetts, there's a privacy statute. And, you know, we do, we do want to keep things as, as private as possible. For example, when in the COVID-19 context, if an employer was taking employee temperatures prior to them coming in the door and recording those temperatures, although I, I've read about this, I still don't see a great need to record temperatures to keep some kind of, you know, to keep track. But if you did, right. you want to keep that information confidential. Yep. You want to be discreet uh, when you're questioning employees uh, about their potential exposures and you know, what they've been doing to social distance outside of work, all those kinds of things, that should be a discreet and private conversation. What happens, though, if someone is infected at work and now you're faced with a situation where, uh, and when I say infected at work, I don't mean that's where they got the infection necessarily, but that you found out an employee who has been working you know, on the premises uh, informs the company that he or she has COVID-19 symptoms or has even tested positive, what can you do with that information? And certainly that person has privacy rights, but you also are, again, competing against that or your obligations with respect to other employees who that infected employee may have come into contact with. So the best thing uh, possible would be to have the employee who has uh, been infected to give you the employer permission in writing, hopefully, so there's no question if it ever becomes an issue, that it's okay to disclose that, uh, you know, Howard Kaplan has been infected and uh, has tested positive. And, uh, you know, we just want to let those folks who work with Howard over the last uh, week to two weeks to be aware of it. They might want to get tested. Uh, they might want to be just you know aware of that. And if Howard worked closely with a few folks uh, very recently prior to the, to the positive test, or him becoming symptomatic, you might want to pull those employees out of the workplace and have them self-quarantine and hope and get tested perhaps if possible. That, that's the best. So you don't have to make it a guessing game. And hopefully, and, and I've seen that be successful. I mean, it, it's, look, I mean, so many people have been infected by this thing that it's not, I don't think, generally viewed in the same way as if someone had God forbid, cancer, some other really terrible disease, something that they wanted to keep private. And hopefully the employee would be okay with your disclosing to other people, particularly for their own safety, that, that uh, you know, Howard Kaplan was the one uh, who tested positive. So, but if Howard, I keep using you as an example, so hope that's okay. But what oh, if Howard said, yes, no problem. Uh, you know what, uh, company, I would rather you not tell anyone that I'm infected. I'm just, I just, I'll be out of work for a while and I don't want anyone else to know. Then I think it could be a tough call, but you try to inform people as well as you can without revealing Howard's name. Someone who you work closely with has tested positive. Now they might put two and two together as employees do and say, oh, I know who's talking. I mean, obviously Howard's out. Howard's been out for the last few days and I worked near Howard and it must be Howard. But and that's fine for them to come to that conclusion. But if Howard asks you not to disclose that, I think it's better to try to keep it as uh, impersonal as possible and not reveal Howard's name. That's if you have to. But the, the bottom line is, yes, there are privacy concerns, but they're, they're always um, balanced against the company's legitimate business needs to disclose things. And so when you have 
situations like that. Those are the kind of questions we get. That's why we uh, employment attorneys do what we do. Just a couple of statements I would make. Just for the record, Howard Kaplan, uh, that would be me I, or, or I, to use a proper grammar. I do not have COVID. Well, sure. No, no. I, I yes, absolutely. We are, we are using the host at, uh, for instructional purposes, uh, illustrative purposes. And the other thing, uh, Jonathan, on a more serious note, and none of this is a laughing matter, I want to make clear. But the other thing that I was struck by is you're absolutely right about most people thinking that HIPAA applies to every facet of the world. HIPAA is somewhat narrowly tailored, although it is perceived as widely applicable. Now, should employers have written policies regarding COVID-19 safety measures and requirements? If that is the case, what should those policies cover? There's nothing, at least right now, from a legal standpoint, at least in Massachusetts and under federal law, that requires written safety policies for COVID-19. But I think that it's a, a good thing to do, particularly as we bring employees back into the workplace so that your workforce Uh, knows what the rules are, what the guidelines are, follows those, and is expected to comply with them and uh, understands, too, the consequences of failing to comply, that that there can be disciplinary measures because these are potentially talking about life and death situations in terms of uh, following proper safety protocol with these things. So in my view, I think it's a very good idea for employers to have written safety policies. I do think they should be conveyed either electronically or otherwise to to all employees who are going to be working at the particular physical workplace. And, you know, again, there are the employees have obligations under OSHA to maintain a safe workplace. And I think that, you know, having a written policy like that, that really spells it out so that employees understand what is expected of them is, is an important thing to do. And not just that, but also to give, hopefully to give employees some comfort that the uh, employer is taking this situation very seriously, that even though we're coming back to work and we're in whatever, however that's phased in, that the company is taking serious precautions guided by medical experts to prevent uh, folks from transmitting the virus within the workplace or uh, or catching it. So uh, I do think that it is a good idea uh, to have such policies. I have done them for some companies. Frankly, I'm surprised that clients haven't reached out more than they have. I think that's going to ramp up, though, as we, uh, you know, a lot of people have been either shut down or partially shut down or have everyone working remotely. So I think as people start coming back to work, I think we'll we'll see more of those types of policies. And I think those policies will have to be flexible in terms of, you know, as this thing progresses and changes and we learn more information as the science catches up, then, you know, we'll have to adapt accordingly. I agree with everything you just said. I think that will ramp up the request for written policies and advice on limiting exposure and how to deal with employees and really just deal with all of this. And particularly, this is such a fast-moving area. Jonathan Siegel, partner in Myrick O'Connell's Labor, Employment, and Employee Benefits Group. Thank you for joining us on On Air. There are two ons there, On On Air with Myrick O'Connell. How can folks reach you if they have questions or concerns? Well, they can certainly send me an email at uh, j. 
Siegel at MyrickOConnell.com. So that's J-S-I-G-E-L at M-I-R-I-C-K-O-C-O-N-N-E-L-L.com. You can visit our website, www.myrickoconnell.com, and get all of my contact information that way. My direct line is 508-860-1474. And even though I'm not in the office, calls will uh, come to my cell phone, or at least voicemails will, and then I can get back to you if you uh, if you reach out to me. But happy to assist uh, clients or prospective clients in any way uh, we can with COVID-19 related employment issues or, or uh, any other employment issues that, that may arise. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Howard. I appreciate it and uh, enjoyed speaking with you. Like the guy on Hill Street Blues used to say before uh, everyone went out in the morning uh, for their assignments, be careful out there. And on that note, we are going to leave you. I'm Howard Kaplan. Thanks for joining us on behalf of Myrick O'Connell and Jonathan Sigel. Take care and stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. Thank you.